The Holy Spirit is God. He is always at work, and He works in the lives of believers. What does He do? Get your Bible, and let's talk about it. session, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit works in the world. The world is that part of the universe that is without God. It's that dark place that we need to be saved from, separated from. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Basically, the sin, singular, of not receiving or believing in Jesus. But Jesus also said that he would convince mankind of the sin that is in the world and of the righteousness of Jesus. He shows sinners that Jesus is the way to God, the truth about God, the life of God, and that no one comes to the Father except by Jesus Christ, his Son. Then the Holy Spirit also convinces the world of judgment because the prince of this world, who is Satan, is judged and all who refuse God's offer of eternal life through Jesus Christ will be judged and sentenced to eternal separation from God. So the Holy Spirit is busy convicting all the time. He is always at work. And so he is convicting the world of sin because the world does not believe in Jesus. He convicts or convinces the world of righteousness because Jesus was going to the Father and would no longer be here to display the righteousness of God. And he convinces the world of judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, is being judged. All of this, just like Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verses 8 through 11. Another work of the Holy Spirit in the world is seen in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. It says this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit at this time has a restraining work in the world. And part of his work in the world is to hinder the growth of lawlessness, to hinder the growth of sin. We might call it the ministry of preservation, the ministry of preservation. Now, the moment Jesus died on the cross, uh, Satan suffered an overwhelming defeat. And when we look around the world, it doesn't really look like Satan is defeated, but he is still waging war and wickedness, even though he has been defeated. But his total destruction and removal from the earth is imminent. It's going to happen. And until then, he's going to intensify his activities. And you're going to see things like perversions and permissiveness and violence and absence of truth and destruction. All of these things are rampant today on a worldwide scale. And until Satan is totally destroyed, the Holy Spirit is working in the world, restraining evil, holding back evil. 
if it were not for the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, there would be a literal hell on earth. And so the day will come when the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is removed. It will cease. And when that happens, we truly can say all hell will break loose. That's literally what that phrase means. And the Antichrist will reign. It will be a horrible, horrible time. Well, today we only see glimpses of the wars and the violence and the hatred and the perversions and the fear that will dominate the world when that happens because the work of the Holy Spirit today at this point in time is restraining evil. It's there, but it has boundaries that have been set by God that are maintained by the Holy Spirit. So that begs the question, how does he do that? How does the Holy Spirit restrain evil? He acts through the people of God. He acts through the people of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a word picture of the Christian in the world. And he said, you, talking to believers, are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So the Christian, the believer, influences the world as salt and light. Salt and light are forces that operate with great effect. And as Christians, we can exercise these forces, these things for good in our society. Even though we may be a minority, even though we may be disobedient at times and not look so Christian, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of believers in the world is re restraining evil. It is restraining evil because what? Light dispels darkness. Salt prevents decay. So light and salt is not, those are not choices we make. It's who we are. It's what we do. It is inherent in the fact that we are Christians. So the world has no light of its own. The world has no light of its own. Christians in the world are the spiritual light in the midst of the darkness. In Matthew chapter five and verse 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So what does the world see? What should the world see in believers? Good works, good works. It gets their notice and that's what they see. And when they begin to see the good works in the lives of believers, then God is going to use that to bring glory to himself. Now, back in Matthew chapter five, verses 13 and 14, Jesus warned against salt losing its saltiness salt losing its saltiness. He also warned against light that was dimming, light that was dimming. So what Jesus literally said, and this really, this really caught the attention of my heart. What Jesus literally said was, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. There is no other. If you are not salt, there is no salt. So you and you alone are the light of the world. Nobody else. 
So if we lose our saltiness, salt in the world as the prevention of decay is lost. It's gone. It's not there. If we do something to dim our light, Jesus talked about don't put your light under a bushel. Don't put it under a basket. Don't put it under anything or behind anything that's going to cause it to dim. And so if our light is under a bushel, there is no other alternative. If we are not light and salt, then it's not going to happen. Now listen to this. The you here, when Jesus said you, he used the plural form of the word. You, plural. And he's talking about the collective body of believers. He's not just talking about one person. Now, if you and I are going to put salt on our food, we get that salt shaker and we shake it, right? We don't just take one grain. It takes all of those grains going together to flavor the food. And so we just use multiple grains of salt. Same thing to influence the world, the church as the body of believers in the world, the kingdom of God has got to be collective salt. We all do this together. We're in it together. We're at it together. Together, we are restraining the decay in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Same thing's true with light. It takes a lot of lights to light a city. If your city is dark, how many street lights does it take to light the streets? What would you have to do to make it bright in that city during the darkness? It takes lots of them. So we know, now let's, let's think about this. We know from John chapter one, that Christ is the true light that lighteth every man. Christ is the true light that lighteth every man. So how does this work? We had Christ, when Christ went away, he sent the Holy Spirit to replace himself. And so the Christ is living in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so that true light that is Christ then is made available to the world through the believer through us. In John chapter eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, capital L. Yes, indeed. And so he says, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is the light, capital L, but he passed that light onto us by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So light and salt, it's who we are. If we're believers, it's who we are. And so God's people are not powerless. Light dispels darkness. Salt prevents decay. The issue here is that plenty of light and plenty of salt are placed into us by the presence of the Holy Spirit, but we have the power to make it not so salty, make it not quite so bright. So that becomes our task in cooperating with God so that we can be as salty as we can be, as bright of lights as we can be. So the world is a dark place that is decaying. So let's summarize it this way. Specifically, the Holy Spirit convicts the world. That is a legal term. When we say it convicts the world, it convicts unbelievers. It convicts those who do not know God. 
And so that is a legal term. And the word convict there in that scripture means to indict by evidence to prove guilty. So he can, when he convicts the world, then he is revealing the truth about the guilt of sin that is in the world. We are proven guilty. We are indicted and we are pronounced guilty. Now, listen to me. This is not just about feeling bad about sinning. It's just not, not just about feeling a little bit guilty. It is a final verdict where God himself declares the world guilty, guilty. And that guilt requires the payment of death, separation from God. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does that by the truth of the word of God, by the truth of the word of God. So here we are, we're believers. And he said, we're light and salt. Well, how do we get to be light and salt? How do we get to that place? So let's step through the work of the Holy Spirit that makes us light and salt. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts and calls us, convicts us and calls us, draws us into himself. One of the most devastating things about sin is that it blinds us to our sinfulness. It blinds us to our own sin. We're good at making excuses, at making it seem all right. But sin blinds us to our own sin. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse four says, the God of this world, that would be Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So only the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of the blind. Only the Holy Spirit can correct that blindness so that we can see the truth, so that we can be convicted of the depth of our sin. And only the Holy Spirit can convince us of the truth of the gospel, of what to do about that sin. So if it were not for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we would not see the truth about our sin and we would not see the truth about Jesus as Savior. We would not see the truth about the gospel. And so in John chapter six and verse 44, Jesus said, no one, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So first the Holy Spirit convicts us, convinces us of our sin, draws us to Christ. And when he draws us and convicts us, when we become aware of that guilt of that sin, when we become aware of our need for a savior, then we can receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. We receive him by faith. And in that moment, a miracle happens. A miracle happens. Call it regeneration. Regeneration. So number two, the Holy Spirit brings about the miracle of new birth. He brings about that miracle of being born again in the life of every believer. That's what makes us from non-believer to believer. We're born again. And that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is regeneration. Titus chapter three, verse five refers to that. It says, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the spirit, by the Holy Spirit. 
So regeneration is a synonym for rebirth. It literally means birth again. You remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus when Jesus said, you've got to be born again. And Nic Nicodemus says, I can't do that. I can't go back into my mother's womb. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You've got to be born again in a different way. Born in a different way. So that's what this is talking about. And without the Holy Spirit, we could not be saved. And when he implants new life, God's life in us, we are born again. And it is eternal life, eternal life. Once it is born in us, it is eternal. And so in regeneration, that which is dead, which was dead, is made alive. Well, then what does he do? Number three, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, indwells the believer. At the same time, the Holy Spirit, at the same time the believer is born again, he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes him saved. That's what makes him saved. Now, I know there are varying opinions about this, and it is tempting to draw conclusions based on what we think or what we feel or what an experience has been. But we've got to base our beliefs on what the Word of God says. So let's let the Holy Spirit reveal the truth about this in the Word of God. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus is speaking. He says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever, that is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold Him, Jesus, or know Him. But you, you know Him because He abides with you. When Jesus was alive, He was with them, but Jesus said, He shall be in you. When I go away, I'm going to send Him, and the difference is going to be, I have been with you, now I will be in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? It is eternal life. So once you're born by the Holy Spirit, he's not going to come and go. He's there. Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, I think this may be the clearest one, says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Now get this part. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So to be a Christian, one has to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He is the eternal life that is living in us. So let's summarize it this way. The Father planned our salvation. The Son provided or purchased our salvation. And the Holy Spirit produces our salvation. Got it? The Father planned it. The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ provides it and the Holy Spirit produces it or implements it in us. The believer receives what kind of life? Eternal life at the moment of salvation. Number four, 
as the believer is born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit simultaneously, he is also sealed by the Holy Spirit. We as believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 says this, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. What is a seal? The seal is a mark of ownership. It's not pretty, but I think of it like branding cattle. Farmers used to have big herds of cattle and they would brand them so that the world would know that they belong to that farmer. The seal of the Holy Spirit is God's mark of authentication on you as a believer where he marks you as owned by him. Ownership. He owns us. The seal is like a proof of purchase. Uh, there are a lot of things we could talk about about a seal. You know, um, it also is a, is a kind of protection. You remember at the tomb of Jesus, um, the, the leaders of the government put a seal on that tomb so nobody could touch it, so nobody could go in there. We're sealed. The Holy Spirit seals us. It is a security. It is a safety. And so he is our seal. The Holy Spirit in us is proof. Satan can look at us and know, mm -mm, that one belongs to God. He can tell the difference. The world ought to be able to tell the difference in our behavior, in what we do, in how salty we are, and how much light we have. So that seal is a mark of ownership. But there's one more thing that the scripture tells us that happens. All of this happens at the same time simultaneously. And that is the Holy Spirit is our pledge, our pledge. Well, what is that? Second uh, Corinthians chapter one and verses 22, I'm sorry, 21 and 22 says this. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. What's a pledge? Ephesians chapter one and verse 14 says, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now in Bible days, a pledge was a down payment that sealed a transaction. Uh, it represented an obligation to purchase. We kind of do the same thing. If you're gonna go um, finance a car or finance a house, you're gonna sign your life away. What are you doing? You're making a pledge that that down payment is an example of more to come, that the rest will be there that you're going to fulfill the full payment of the whole thing. So, you know, it assured that there was more to come. So here's the privilege. Here's the exciting thing for a believer, for a person of God. 
the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge. He is the down payment in us so that when the devil or God, whomever looks at us from the spiritual realm, that down payment is there. We are owned by him and he is going to finish all that he said he would do, which is what? He's going to save us throughout eternity. We're going to be raised with him. We're going to live in heaven with him because we've been marked. The down payment has been made. We are his. We're his. So let's summarize it. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes into us, making us alive in our spirits. When we're born, we're born dead in our spirit. That's what happened to Adam and Eve when they died. They didn't just drop dead physically then when they sinned. They died in their spirits, and that made them separated from God. And ever since that day, we have inherited from Adam a dead spirit. When we are physically born, we're born dead in our spirit. And so when Jesus was encountering Nicodemus, what was he saying? He's saying, you need to be born again in a different way. Nick, you need to be born in your spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit had not come yet. So it was a different dispensation. We got to talk about today. Today, once the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came to indwell the believer, to indwell the believer. And so when we are saved, when we bow receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then that Holy Spirit is going to come into our spirits and make it alive. And it is, it is alive for eternity. It is eternal life. And that's what we call born again. We're born again because God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, in our spirits. Then he seals us. He seals us. You know, he marks us as belonging to him. When he looks, when we look, the mark, the mark on our lives is the mark of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about what that looks like, you know, in another lesson. But this is the mark of the Holy Spirit. We're sealed, we're protected, we're marked, we're branded by the Holy Spirit who claims us and who gives us a way of authenticating ownership so that everybody knows that we're his. So he marks us as belonging to him. You know, he bought us out of the slave market of sin. He purchased us with the blood of Christ. And so he bought us and then he sealed us saying, paid in full, I have bought this person. I've bought this believer. He or she is mine. And so the Holy Spirit indwells us as a down payment. We've been sealed. The Holy Spirit is going to indwell us, to keep us, to hold us, to, to be the down payment, to seal the transaction so that it assures all of the inheritance that is coming in our future as believers because of what Christ has done for us. Do you know Him? Have you gotten to the place where you have received the Lord Jesus Christ? This is all a work of the Lord. He will do it we make ourselves available and invite him to come in.
and have his way. God bless you.